0: Welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you have a Bible, you're gonna wanna hold a spot in Philippians chapter two. We're in part two of our series called Humble. Now, if you missed part one, let me review a little bit. In part one, we talked about if you're gonna get God right, you got to get a couple of things right so that the relationship works. The two foundations for a great, thriving, strong, intimate relationship with God is so number one, faith. The Bible says without faith. It's impossible to please God. And then the second thing is humility. You know, in 1 Peter 5, it says that God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in in due time. So to have a great relationship with God, there has to be a proper estimation of yourself and who you are in light of who God is, and that's the biblical definition of humility. You gotta get humility right to get a relationship with God right. Now, in part two, we're gonna see that humility is also required to achieve, listen, God's vision for your life. Whatever God creates, God has an intention for, and he has a vision for, and if you're watching this, I just wanna tell you that God has an intention for you because he created you, means there's a purpose for creating you, and then he has a vision. He has uh, an end result that he's aiming to achieve in you, and through you, and to get you thinking in the right direction, I wanna go back in, in time to 1992, and I wanna talk about Michael Jordan, all right? So most of you watching this know who Michael Jordan is, greatest basketball player of all time, greatest brand, okay, sports brand of all time, and advertisers got that pretty early, so in 1992, Gatorade, you know, the athletic drink, contracted with Michael Jordan because he was the rising star. And uh, they did a campaign called Like Mike. And there was a little jingle that went to it. Like Mike, I wanna be like Mike. And it showed while they were singing that jingle, boys and girls trying to imitate Michael's moves like in their driveways and on the playground. They would show Michael on the court doing spin moves and then they would show kids aspiring basketball players of all ages trying to imitate Michael Jordan. And Gatorade knew something that—that that is common to all of us where if you are a basketball player, you wanna be like the best basketball player. And the foundation of that approach in the campaign is that the greatest of all time, the GOATs, right? They're inspiring. They, they're they're doing a campaign like that because of inspiration, and they know that when a person is inspired, and when a figure is inspirational, uh, it creates aspiration, right? To be like that person inside. So I want I want to be like that person, and then that leads to imitation, and so inspiration leads to aspiration, which leads to imitation. Now in the man, masculinity, human being category, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, is Jesus Christ, hands down. Same aspect of of Jesus being the model, Jesus being inspirational as, as followers of Christ, he's our inspiration, he's our aspiration. We want to be like him and so what do we do? Last step, imitation, and that is God's vision for you and I as Christ followers, all right? Jesus is the model, he's the man, the Holy Spirit is put inside of us, and we're in this process of Jesus being in us, God's vision is for us to be like him, we see Jesus as the model man, right? And so we're inspired We aspire to be like him and we imitate him. Talks about this process in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Listen closely. It says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Right? So there's a work that's going on inside of us. It begins when we receive... Christ into our lives and believe in his person and work for us at salvation, the Holy Spirit is put inside of us, and then this process of inner transformation begins, and it tells us exactly what that process is in Romans 8, 28, and 29. All right, it says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called, listen, according to his purpose, for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So let's unpack Philippians 1.6, Romans 8.28 and 29. Make just a few simple observations. And the first observation is this, and that is that God's work in me is more important than any work through me. God's work in you is way more important than anything you're doing, right? You can be doing a lot of things, but if you're not becoming more like Christ, you're missing God's vision. If you're not becoming more like him on the inside, not becoming like him in your character, and why is that work important? Because because character is what produces conduct. So we have to get, things in the right order, right? A lot of times when we become believers, we just start doing things, right? We start doing, instead of being like Christ. Well, God's primary purpose in your life is to make you like Christ on the inside and it's our job to work with the Holy Spirit in that process. The second observation that we get from the two scriptures we read is, um, is that God is committed to finishing what he starts. Right? That's what it says in Philippians 1, 6. He's gonna carry on, carry it on, the work in you to completion until the very day of Christ Jesus. So God's always working on making you like Christ. And Romans 8, 28, and 29 kind of clues us in to How he's working that out, he's using everything in your life, every delay, every difficulty, every trial, every tribulation, every success, every victory, every blessing, right? He's using all things, what scripture says. God works it together for the good of those who love him, to them who are called according to his purpose, right? And that leads us to the third observation, which is this, God's process uses all circumstances in my life to achieve the goal. So if you're a man of God, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you've placed your faith in his person and work, God's Spirit is inside of you, okay, now I, now I have God's presence inside of me, what's God's presence inside of me purpose to do? It's purpose to make you like Jesus. This is the great work that God has begun, This is the great work that God is doing right now, using all things in your life, all the blessings, all the challenges, right? All the contentment, all the curiosity, right? All the mystery, right? And all the clarity. God's using it all in your life to form you into the image of Christ because he wants us to have the family resemblance. Remember, man of God, you're part of a family. We have a big brother, King. His name is Jesus and that's why it says in Romans 8:29 that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers, right? So think of a family, think of the older brother and um, the father wanting you to be like the older brother who's worthy of inspiration, aspiration, imitation. Okay. In fact, the Bible doesn't pull any punches. It says in Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God. So if we're gonna be an imitator of God, Jesus is God, we as followers imitate our big brother, king, savior, redeemer, Jesus. That's foundational, but that requires an attitude that was in Jesus that marked him. And it talks about that attitude in Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11. So just let's set the context. King, creator of the universe, savior of mankind, God. Right now, listen to to how the Bible describes how Jesus thought of himself, right? Let's start, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what, not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, becoming human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death at that. A crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. That is one of the most significant passages about the character of the God-man Jesus that you will ever read. Philippians 2 5 through 11. So, he's royalty. We read at the end of that passage, he's going to be worshipped by everybody, and he knows it. But when he comes to live among men, it's royalty without a crown. And let's make some observations. When you just look at Jesus based on this passage, number one, Jesus exchanged comfort for discomfort, okay? Imagine you're Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're in a perfect environment. You're perfectly in relationship. You're in an environment of perfect love, perfect purity, and then a decision is made, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to save man, right? Jesus then leaves heaven to leave perfect, for imperfect, to leave comfort for the discomfort of a broken, fallen, sinful world. Most of the people inhabiting that broken, fallen, sinful world would reject him, okay? So Jesus exchanged comfort for discomfort. Humility defeats pride. He didn't go, I don't wanna do that. Humility. Second, Jesus exchanged flattery for faithfulness. You noticed in the text where it says um, he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages, right? So he could show up, big show, big fanfare, big riding across the sky. He could have done something with the atmosphere, lightning bolts, you know, kind of like we see in, in the Marvel movies, you know, big entrances, right, by these Marvel characters. Not Jesus. No neon, all right? No lightning bolts. Um, Instead, he just comes humbly, and instead of receiving adulation and flattery, he just chooses to be faithful and obedient, right? Third, Jesus exchanged status for service, right? He doesn't come to be served, even though you serve kings. And that's what he said about himself in the Gospel of John. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in each case, comfort for discomfort, flattery for faithfulness, status for service, humility defeats pride. Core attitude of Jesus. Fourth, Jesus exchanged harshness for graciousness. You know, one of the most amazing lines that Jesus ever says, the most amazing sentence is is a sentence in prayer when he's, he's being crucified, the worst death ever, the worst torture ever, taking our punishment, and he's being mocked, spit on, the nails are going in, the crowns are getting crushed on his head, his back is hamburger, right? Bleeding from his hands, his feet, his head, his back, everywhere, and he says this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it's not from a position of weakness. In humility, right, Jesus is gracious to those who are torturing him. Now, all he had to do was like think judgment, retribution and elimination of those crucifying him and they're gone. They're atomized, gone. That's all Jesus had to do because Jesus is God. But in humility, He exchanges harshness and judgment that they deserved for graciousness. Man, that takes takes a lot of humility. Once again, humility defeats pride. All right, fifth, Jesus exchanged titles for treasures in heaven. There was a future glory that Jesus knew his obedience would secure, his humility would secure. In fact, in the text, You know, it, it talks about because of that humility and obedience, right? Heaven was going to honor him. And then lastly, Jesus exchanged safety for suffering. You know, before he went to the cross, he's in the garden. And he's like, God, do you have a plan B for this one? Uh, is, there, is there any way to take this cup or experience from me? And he says, "Yet yeah, not my will be done, but your will be done. And that reflects back on what we learned in part one. Less control, more surrender. Jesus surrendered in humility to God's plan. And God's plan was to torture and crucify him. To pay for yours and my sin. Wow. Okay. So this is what Jesus-style humility looks like. Right? And as, as we become more and more like Christ, we begin... Uh, saying no to our own comfort, saying yes to discomfort, no to flattery and human approval and human adulation and yes to more faithfulness. We begin to say no to status, status, social media followers, numbers, image, that, that status, we say, begin to say no to that just in our spirit. like That's not as important to us as service is to other people. Right? Humility defeating pride, Um, and when we could give harshness, we bless and give graciousness. That's humility defeating pride, and you know, titles, business cards, you know, talking about all our achievements, you know, that's not as important to us anymore, right? Because humility has taken over, and we we exchange the titles among men that pridefully we compete for for treasures in heaven. Humbly before God, less control, more surrender to God. And then lastly, you know, we'll we'll make decisions like Jesus made in the garden. We'll we'll exchange the safety and comfort of where we are for suffering. We'll say, hey, if it's gotta be me, it'll be me. If I have to take the hit, I'll take the hit. If I have to sacrifice to show love for God and people, I'm gonna sacrifice to show love for God and people. In fact, humility expressed in these ways was just Jesus' superpower. With with people, it's just like man. He does not act like cultural man. The men that we know. um, What is up with this guy? Super attractive, and all the while he's becoming. Listen, humbly significant because that's what it it says there at the end. God lifted him high, honored him far beyond anyone or anything. Right? We're going to bow and worship before this Jesus Christ this humble God-man who now, get it, get this guys, lives in you. We're gonna talk about what that means in a little bit. So it's a way he modeled thinking about himself on earth in light of the reality of God. He modeled that for us and what Jesus models for us is meant for us and so he models an attitude of humility and that, that attitude leads to action that reflect his attitude, right? So that is who Jesus is, but let's look now at what humble looks like. And remember, back to the beginning, this is God's vision for you. We're doing this series because you got to have a great relationship with God, right? I want that. Thriving, growing, healthy, intimate. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. you got to have a humble attitude to be like Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that next, where what does humble feel like when we are with people? Because, you know, we can... Somebody can ask us, you know, are you humble? And and you can make your own self-assessment. But you know who really defines and decides if you're humble? It's people. It's what are you like with people? And when in Jesus' presence, people felt super safe, and they felt like this is a strong person, secure person. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says this, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary, carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light, right? Jesus had, let's just call it a vibe that he threw off. You know, if you're not familiar with that word, it's just, it's what's coming off of you that's sensed, not spoken, right? And the vibe that Jesus threw off, especially with the lonely, the marginalized, the burdened, the stressed, the frenzy. Know anybody like that? Maybe you're like that right now because of what's going on in your life. When you're in Jesus's presence, man, you feel you're in the present, you're in, with a safe person, but you also feel like you're with a very strong person. So let's just kind of break down Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, talk about that, right? So if Jesus is the humblest man and Jesus lives in us, we should be co- becoming the humble man, and the humble man. Number one is inviting. All right, the humble man is inviting. Right? Notice Jesus you know, invitation to everybody. Hey, come to me. Come, welcoming. All right, um, inclusive, welcoming. Right? Why? Because they're present with him, and. He wants to help come alongside of them. He, it is his purpose to come alongside those who are in proximity to him. And he's modeling this physically for you and I. Question, are you an inviting person, just the vibe? Or do you give off you know, the stay away vibe? Is it the, hey, I'm open, door's open, Vibe or the Heisman, right? Jesus says come, all, keyword all. Circle that in your Bible. All who are weary and heavy laden. Can I just say, um, the sociologists tell us through research that nine out of 10 people are carrying around a burden they'd love to resolve. Think about that. I would say it's 10 out of 10, but I think they have to leave a little room for margin for those who are super good at carrying their own burdens, but I don't know how that works in this world. But anyway, just assume, Guys, let's have a working assumption as God's man. And that is this, that the people around you have burdens that they would love to feel either lighter or not carry as much or just have lifted out of their lives. And guess what? Jesus is the lifter, right? He's inviting. Um, and that goes to our second point. To lift burdens, the humble man is strong. I, <laughs> when Jesus says, come to me, all of you, who are weary and heavy laden, it's just like, whoa. How about our attitude toward people? Are we willing, like Jesus, in humility to just be strong for somebody else in a moment? Isn't it great when someone is strong when you're weak in a moment? Knowing that, knowing that everybody around you is carrying something and, and you just might be the person to say, how's it going? No, 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 really, how's it going? And listen for the answer. And maybe even ask a second question. Do you need anything? Is there anything I can help you with? How can I bless you? You know, and then be ready to carry, right? That's, that's strong, man. You know what this world needs? Humble, strong, inviting men, amen. Third, the humble man is safe, right? When Jesus says, all right, you can embrace me. I can carry the load for you. Here's why, I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, right? There's no such thing as a scary, gentle, and humble person. (laughs) It's an oxymoron, right? It doesn't fit, it's counterintuitive. So Jesus is telling us the key to who he is, what you need to know, stressed, frenzied, marginalized, lonely, burden-laden person, is I wanna carry your load. I'm a king, but I'm a servant, (laughs) and I'm humble. And I'm gentle. And you don't have to be afraid. You know, in this world, people are so afraid to either receive help because they don't want to be used, manipulated, abused, or deceived. Think about that. So much they turn on the TV, and there's so many scams, so much evil, so much injustice, so much abuse, so much random violence, right? They're running scared, right? And Jesus assures others. You're safe with me. I am not gonna hurt you. I'm gentle. I'm not gonna impose myself on you, and I'm humble, all right? I'm not prideful, all right? Which is synonymous with selfish. You know, humble is other-centered, prideful is self-centered, right? Lastly, the humble man is easy to embrace. You know, Jesus is inviting, strong, safe, and then he just says, you know what? My yoke's light. It's not a heavy thing to know me, work with me, let me work with you you know um, when people leave Jesus's presence they feel lighter and you know the message from Jesus to people around him is like you know what when I'm around you're gonna feel lighter you're gonna I'm either emotionally or physically or spiritually you're not going to be burdened anymore you know you're not going to be oppressed anymore why because I'm here all right, I'm going to lift that burden. I'm going to deliver you from that oppression. Gives us clues, guys, into what Christ-like humility accomplishes in relationships and what it should be like and what vibe the, God, the God-centered man should throw off in today's world and so starving for this kind of humble man. So here's the bottom line. Christ-like humility, write this down, eliminates emotional obstacles right? Um, The reason why people aren't connecting in today's culture, and you see it everywhere in every dimension of life, every night on the news, you just see so much division and disconnection is because there's these emotional obstacles, right? And it's usually focused on power, position, right? Possession, scarcity, Uh, of resources, right? Everybody's competing for power, competing for for possessions. This is the principle of scarcity. You know, if you don't have it, you know, then someone else is gonna get it and I gotta compete for it. And um, there's this ideological um, divide, right? Where I just can't have a dispassionate conversation with you. I gotta label you a bad person if you're not in high agreement with me, all right? Not Jesus. I'm going to say that again. You don't have to label a person because they disagree with you. All right. Um, you can talk to them. I mean, Jesus had everybody. Jesus had Matthew. He was he was a servant of Rome. He would be the equivalent of the alt-left. Then he had uh, Simon, the zealot. He would be the equivalent at the time of the alt-right. Both on the same team. Both disciples, okay? So I know that will hit uh, people on both sides, but you know, Christ-like humility eliminates emotional obstacles, right? Humility is to connection what pride is to disconnection. So then let's ask a question. Am I close to people? Um, Do people feel comfortable uh, in, in my presence or do they avoid me? Right? Well, just... Check your humility versus pride factor. And humility is the anecdote to emotional distance. When you humble yourself before God, give him control. There's God and there's you, all right? That puts you in a humble position automatically. Then humble yourself before men in faith. It's where you say no to yourself to say yes to loving God and loving people in the presence of people, right? Um, one of my favorite vignettes in Scripture is when Jesus um, encounters the the woman who's caught in adultery. and it's a setup, you know the the people that Jesus's humility threatened isn't that interesting? Jesus' humility makes him so attractive. It accelerates the pride in those who are attention seekers, right? And so he makes them insecure. So they want to trap him. They want to make him look bad. So they set up a woman and catch her in the middle of committing adultery with a the man. They, they drag her publicly before Jesus. The bigger the spectacle, um, you know, the better. And this is when Jesus, again, context, says, all right. You know, it does say that in the law of Moses, but let let the person without sin cast the first stone. Crickets, thuds, all the rocks hit the ground. People start leaving. They're convicted. They're so convicted by the voice of God where it's like, you judgmental people. You're no different than her. And then they start leaving. And then it's just Jesus and the woman and he stands up, and the Bible says this in Matthew 8, 10 and 11. Then Jesus stood up and said to the woman, "'Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you?' "'No, Lord,' she said." And Jesus said, "'Neither do I. Go and sin no more.'" So I want you to see the juxtaposition here. You have the holiest man Ever, 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 eternity past, our present, eternity future. The holiest man ever. And there are no emotional obstacles between him, the holiest man ever, and the most sinful woman culture could put in front of him at the time. And he's having a conversation with her and he's offering graciousness when people were offering harshness, but he's also offering truth, and this is really important to see. He says, woman, where are your accusers? They're nowhere around, Lord. Well, neither do I condemn you. That's grace. If you're walking around condemned and guilty and you feel like there's just, there's no path to forgiveness for you I don't know what you've done, but there's no emotional obstacle for Jesus to be with you. He's the holiest person ever, and he's present, and he just wants you to know right now, and I think the Lord is manifesting his presence right now with some men who really need the presence of Jesus in their sin, right in the midst of your sin. I just want you to know that Jesus is with you. There's no obstacles to his presence, and he's with you, and he doesn't condemn you. He died for you to pay for that thing that you're beating yourself up about. He wants you to know that, and he wants you to receive his forgiveness. Receive his grace right now. You can't do anything to earn it. Just receive the grace of God for your sin, and that goes for all the men listening to my voice right now. Could you just receive the grace of God you know, the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if if you're condemned, if you feel shamed and condemned, that's not Jesus. Convicted to change? That's another thing, right? But not condemned. And then Jesus says this, go and sin no more. That's truth. So humility in that moment, right? The inviting, strong, safe, and easy to embrace Jesus the holy man is with the most sinful woman, and he's offering her grace and truth in humility. He's saying, you know what? I'm not going to beat you up, but I I love you too much to leave you the way you are. And for those of you, you're sensing the presence of the Holy Spirit right now, and uh, that's what God is saying to you. You know, I love you too much to leave you the way you are, so I want you to leave your life of sin because I know that it's not good for you. I know that it's going to create harm for you, for for your relationship with God, your relationship with others. So you have to leave that life and trust me, right? So, let's let's review. All right. Just receive that and I'm going to just God's moving right now. I just sense it. The Holy Spirit is just covering men and Christ's humility is just eliminating whatever obstacles you put between yourself and him, and he's crashing those walls down, and he's just with you, and he's loving you, and his grace and truth are coming over you, and he's telling you you're forgiven and telling you who you are and what to do next, right? To repent, right? To, to get rid of that sin in your life and to start loving him and loving people with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So let's review. God's vision is that you become like Christ. To become like Christ, you need the attitude of Christ, and that's humility, right? He was the servant king, royalty without a crown. It was a superpower, man, and it guided him. It it, it threw off this vibe, right? There was a, an ability through humility to choose discomfort, faithfulness, service, um, heaven, even suffering um even though he didn't he was gone wow god wants to do that in your life he wants to change your choices um less pride more humility right less self more jesus less less kenny more christ right and this is jesus and this is your final fill in this is jesus jesus is in you this is you because when you Receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. What's the mission of the Holy Spirit? It's to make you like Jesus. The Spirit of Christ dwells in you. What's the mission of the Spirit of Christ? It's to make you like Jesus. Well, what's Jesus like? He's humble. But it doesn't mean he's weak. He's the strongest person that ever lived and walked planet Earth, but in humility, he he set himself aside and he put energy into what God declared to be significant in humility. He modeled obedience and submission to God for us. So that's, that's the man God wants you to be. And that's what I'm gonna pray for right now. All right, let's bow our heads. Father, thank you that you're ministering right now. Um, for many men listening to the sound of my voice, this is a, a fresh wind, a fresh fire. They've never thought about it before. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. The Spirit of Christ is in me to make me like Jesus. Well, what's Jesus like? He's humble. And that's because he was so secure in your love, Father. And that love cast out all fear and pride, and it replaced it with humility. So so God, thank you that your Holy Spirit dwells in every man who believes in you. And it is your process, the great work that you began in them. I pray that they would work with you today to carry it with you to completion. Jesus, I pray that you would deliver them from burdens. Lord, I pray that they would trust you with every dimension of their lives, the blessings and the challenges. Lord, the victories and the defeats, Lord, the peace and the curiosity, God, I pray that, that, that every man listening to my voice would trust you and that they would allow you, he would allow you right now to let you lift off of him what doesn't belong to him, like the future, all right, control, Lord, the things that cause him anxiety, God, that he would trust you with those and just be obedient today like you were. So Jesus, thank you for being who you are. Thank you that you're our model and mentor for what it means to be a man. So help us be welcoming men. Help us be strong men. Help us be safe. Let that be the vibe, gentle and humble in heart like you. Easy to embrace, especially for those around us who we know that we know are frenzied, lonely, stressed, anxious. Lord, because it's earth, not heaven yet. So help us enter into that space. Holy Spirit, this is Jesus. Holy Spirit, you live in me. Holy Spirit, make me like Jesus. And we ask for that in his mighty name. And all God's men said, amen. We'll see you next week.